Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. So we're going to do a little bit of reading here. And uh, how many have a pen? Would you raise it in the air if you've got a pen? Would you raise it? I want, you to, I want to see it. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I want you to go ham tonight taking some good notes. I want to encourage you to take the things we're going to talk about tonight home with you, all right? Um, I don't want to just be a, uh, just a fun sermon that we're going to do together. I want to actually encourage you to take it home, maybe reread through some of it, and uh, it'll be fun, and we'll have a good time. So I, uh, I loved the service this morning, and some of you guys were serving during the worship hour, and uh, it was, uh, you know, there's, you can, you're here tonight, so that's important, but I know that um, we could not have what we had on Sunday morning worship if it weren't for some of you. Um, you know, sacrificing, being in that, in the, serving during that worship hour. So thank you um, for, for what you do on a weekly basis. But I also want to say, you know, you got, get, a, get the DVD. It was just a cool service. Um, and tonight, I'm praying for a cool service as well. Um, I'm not as cool as Tony, but I'm going to do my best um, and have fun with it. I want to say this. If you're a guest with us today... I'm going to encourage you to come back next Sunday morning, uh, where you can actually hear our, uh, our Pastor Dave's going to be speaking next Sunday morning, um, and then uh, next Sunday after that, Pastor Tony will be here. He's going to be back in town. I want to encourage you to come back and hear our pastor. He's a great preacher, great. We love him to death. Amen, church? Amen. All right? I love it. I love how he preaches. He does it, what they call expositional studies, all right? Meaning he stays in one book and in one passage of scripture, and he stays there because he wants to help us understand the full meat of what's in that passage. So I love that, because some preachers you go to, they're just talking about whatever their opinion is for the day, um, but he's, he knows how to study, and I love that about him. So um, come back, hear him, and uh, you'll be, it'll be great to have you guys back in our service. So tonight, you're stuck with me, all right? So Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. We're going to talk about family matters, all right? This is, the whole topic of tonight is about the family of God, the body of Christ, the church. Um, I love my church, and I want to talk about um, how the church is so incredibly crafted by God. So let's, uh, let's begin verse number one, and we'll follow through. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beg you, I beseech you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering and forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body. One spirit, even as you are called into one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all, I love this, and through all, and he's in you all. Amen. All right, verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace. Grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. We all have been given gifts. Jump down to verse number 11. And some of these gifts, and, and he gave some the apostles, and he some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I want to stop there. We'll continue reading later. But um, this is an incredibly exciting passage. What we're going to do tonight is we're going to, we're going to pick it apart. All right, I said we're going to go ham. You know, you just had an Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday meal. Everybody have ham? Everybody had ham? Raise your hand. If you had ham on Easter, raise your hand. All right, ham, you usually don't eat ham by, yourself, by itself. You have a variety of things. You have your carbs, you know. You have the, the, the mashed potatoes um, or green beans. You have to have something healthy in it. 
But what you're doing is you have a variety of different things on your plate. What we're going to do is we're going to chop up this passage. We're going to chop it, chop it, chop it up. All right, we're going to go like that. All right, we're going to have fun with it, and I'm going to show you guys what this passage is saying, all right? And we're going to have a good time doing it, talking about the family of God. So get ready for some, some food, all right, spiritual food. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be together like this. And as we are a family of God, I pray that you will help us to celebrate that. Help us to enjoy uh, fully what it means to be a family of God. And I know, God, we all have some different, uh, different perspectives what family life might be like. But I just pray that tonight you will make it crystal clear to us. From the, the writings of the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, help us to understand through the power of the Holy Spirit what you want us to see for Fellowship Baptist Church and how we ought to live. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, we all obviously come from different family backgrounds. Uh, some of you guys are very traditional-based. You have a very steep tradition in your home. Maybe you've got uh, from an Italian family. I know I'm from an Italian family, Saudi Arabian, but it's a funny, awkward conversation. Uh, anyway, but so all of us have different family backgrounds, cultures in our family. Well, obviously, everybody has weird family members. Isn't that true? If you've got a weird family member, it's like someone, you, nobody likes to talk to this person. You go to family reunions and they're the awkward person in the family, you know what I mean? Like nobody likes to have a conversation because it just is weird. How many of you guys have family members like that? Raise your hand. All right, I noticed that some of you aren't raising your hands. Usually that means that you must be that person in the family if, that's, if you're not raising your hand. Anyway, all of us have them, all right? Well, one of the most amazing things about the family of God, and this is, this is stunning to me, when we got saved, the Bible says that we were adopted into God's family. And Paul, what he's doing in this passage is he's explaining to us what family life is, um, what family life is like from an inside perspective for the, of the church, what this is supposed to be like. And it's exciting to me because I like being a part of a family, for one, um, and I like being, most of all, knowing about what it means to be a part of the family of God. So tonight, let's have fun, all right? If you're going to have some fun digging in the Word of God, you came the right hour. We're going to do it together. He mentions three things that I want you to write down. You don't have to do it all at once, but we're going to do it uh, just quickly as we make our way through the night. I want to talk about these three things in particular that Paul says about family life um, inside of God's family. First, he, wants to, he begins to talk about what family life is like, all right, what it's like. He also talks about how family life works in the church, what it, how it works. And the third thing we're going to end up with is why family life is important. So the whole thing is about family matters, all right? That's the whole concept. So let's tackle the, let's tackle the first one. All right, let's not tickle the first one. Let's tackle the first one and uh, what, what family life is like, all right? So let's get into this. Paul says in verse number one, let's stay here. If you've got your pen, I want you to do some highlighting. How many of you guys, you know, do highlights and stuff in your Bible, uh, underscoring of the verbs? All right, we're going to do that. I'm going to teach you how to study in a different way. This is Joe style. Um, if you ever were to come into the merge, I pull out a whiteboard and I'm just, ham- just drawing lines everywhere, um, teaching how to connect the dots, so to speak, uh, in your Bible. So this is what we're going to do tonight, except I don't have a whiteboard, so just kind of imagine it with me. All right. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Such odd terminology, isn't it? Who talks like that? No, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Let me explain what he's talking about. The whole idea, when he says walk worthy, that word worthy means to be suitable. Check it out, I'm wearing a suit. You know, some of you guys are hating on me because I don't always wear a tie. Um, so we say, why aren't you wearing a tie? Let me give you an explanation. The reason why sometimes you don't see me in a tie is because there's a lot of people in the church who don't wear ties, who don't feel comfortable wearing ties. So you know what? I, wear a, I don't wear a tie sometimes so that I can make those people feel just as comfortable as you do wearing your tie. All right, but I'm wearing a tie tonight. Amen? You proud of me? All right, okay, good. Thank you for the claps. 
So here's, here's the idea. Going a little bit further, I'm going to lean into this. He talks about being suitable uh, for the high calling, all right? So this idea of, of, of being worthy, Paul's really drawing this illustration for us. Um, and he says, first of all, you have to have a life that fits the gospel, all right? So continuing, and he says, worthy or suitable of the vocation wherewith you are called. He's not talking about a job here, church. He's talking about the word vocation. It means basically a divine calling. So he's saying you ought to have another way of putting it in our terminology. is He's saying, listen, our lives need to be a life that looks like, that's, that's suited, a suitable life that fits the gospel in a sense of the high calling we received when we trusted Christ. That's what he's saying. Our life must fit and suit, be suited and appropriate of a life that matches our divine calling from God. So um, when you read that, it makes a little bit more sense. So I, I wanted to figure a way to, to bring this out in illustration. Um, th- this is something that I think all of us can relate to, to some way, shape, or form. No pun intended. All right. So here's, this is, how many of you guys spend more than 20 minutes getting ready in the morning to get dressed for Sunday church? Raise your hand. More than 20 minutes. All right. Okay. Um, this is it. 20 minutes tops. That's a, that's a record. I try to break that record every, every, every single Sunday or Saturday. I'm figuring out how can I get dressed faster um, than I did the, night, the week before um, because I try to be more organized, prepare the, the, the dress attire uh, before, the, the next, the, before the night's over. So here's, here's the thing. I did not realize how long it takes a woman to get, mar- or to get dressed until I got married. Um, I, di- I, just, I didn't understand. Now, guys, some of you guys, if you're single, would you say amen? All right, got a couple single guys. If you're married, say amen. All right, all right. So here, let me, let me help you guys out. All right, this is, this is just life and training here. Um, my, my wife and I, we go through this Saturday night ritual, all right? I told you it takes me 20 minutes tops to get dressed. Um, and I, I'm talking, you look professional, you look sharp, don't look like a bum. Um, but, you know, you, you look nice. It took 20 minutes. I was talking to a college student today, and he said, I roll out of bed like this. I mean, I was like, are you serious? You look like that when you're out of bed? I was like, I'd be, I wish I was you. Looked halfway decent. So anyway, some guys get dressed five minutes, some guys take longer than that. Women take a whole lot longer than that. So um, that's because you're, you're, you're very beautiful. That's why. That's right. You take time, okay? So um, let me explain our Saturday night ritual. You want to hear about my Saturday night ritual? Come on, we're in church. Let's have fun. All right, this is Joe. Sa- and, and, and if you've got a wife, she's probably smiling at you right now because you know exactly what I'm getting ready to say. Um, 20 minutes is what my take. So my wife and I go through the Saturday night ritual, and uh, she'll pull out her attire, um, she'll get it all organized and figure out, you know, what outfit goes with this outfit. She pulls out all these, you know, uh, you know, accentuates, what accentuates, uh, just ac- things to accent the uh, outfit, all right? She wants to make it accessories to accentuate the outfit. There's a lot of A's there. I get mixed up. Anyway, so she does this, and it's a, it's a, it's a neat ordeal, but the comical thing to me is that she's asking me if it looks good, all right? Now, here's the thing. Any other day of the week... I can be getting, I, I just throw some clothes on, right? You know, I'm one of those guys that, you know, if the laundry's done and it's put in the drawer, I just wear the first thing that's on the top of the drawer. Anybody like that? You don't dig through your drawer, you just wear what's on top? Okay, that's me. I don't care what it is. I won't go into details. But anyway, so I, I'll wear what's ever on top of the drawer, and so I'm digging through it, and so, she, so she'll ask me, she says, so, so does this look good? And so every Saturday night, she's asking for my advice. Now, this is the same guy that any other day of the week, whenever I just throw some clothes on, um, I mean, she'll look at me like, I'm, I know you're not about to leave the house looking like that. Are you serious? You better go in that bedroom and change. And I mean, you're going to embarrass me type thing. She'll, she'll kind of look at me like that. And after 10 years almost of marriage, I've realized don't even ask why she's looking at you like that. Don't ask. 
because she's basically giving me a look because you look like an idiot. You look like a hot mess. Go back in there and change. Don't ask the question. So that's, that's the tip of the day if you're single. Um, if, if your girlfriend is giving you that look, just go back in the room and change or something, all right? Go, go get a different outfit on. All right, but here's, here's if for me, I get a, get a good kick out of it because Saturday night she's asking me, the fashion moron, uh, <laughs> what, 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 if this looks good. Now, I've come to realize that there's really three things that my wife wants to know about her outfit. One, um, does it match? Does her outfit match? Okay. Two, does, does it basically, you know, uh, show off, you know, her, her necklaces and all the, all the pretty colors that she's got on? And so does it fit? Is it, is it is suitable? Um, so, and, and basically the whole idea there is she's doing her best to try to, to make like she looks, you know, put together. She wants to look nice. And for me, I started thinking about this text and I realized in my life, that this passage really comes into full, complete view because it's exactly what Paul's doing to us. He's kind of asking you, he's not asking you, he's telling you, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. This is what it looks like to be in the family of God. This is the mirror that I want, want you to hold up yourself to, okay? Does, it, does, does this description fit you? Um, does it match? Does it make you look good? All right, that's the idea. Is this, does this really match? So let's talk about it. I got a couple minutes I want to spend on it, so let's just, bigger, just kind of spend some time digging it out. Verse number one, or verse number two, and verse three bring out five different um, attributes or character traits that I want to spend time on. First, he says that the the Christian is supposed to be lowly. All right, lowly, and he also says meek, long suffering, forbearing, and striving for unity. All right, so let's let's slow it down a little bit. What does it mean to be lowly? Uh, what does this particular attribute mean? It means basically to lower yourself or have a humble perspective of your own view. It's, it's, that second, it's, it's uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5 and following, where he says, you know, I, you know, basically, let the mind of Christ be in you. you know, let each of us esteem others better than ourselves. Having a low perspective of us. The second thing he mentions is the idea of being meek. Um, that means basically to be gentle or kind to each other in the church. Be gentle and kind. Um, the third thing he talks about is long-suffering toward one another. That word basically means, in, in the original language, to be patiently enduring when evil is done to you or when you're mistreated in the church. Patiently endure that, all right? And then the fourth thing, bearing towards, forbearing towards one another. That word forbearing means to hold each other up when something goes down. When you feel like you're getting ready to fall, you hold each other up. And then the striving to keep unity. Now, let, let's, let's, let's stop here for a minute. I just mentioned those, those character traits, and I want to ask you, how well does this description fit? And this is where I, I want to encourage you to kind of do a, a, a perspective evaluation in your own heart, all right? And I want to ask you tonight, how well do you compare? This is, that, this is my wife coming into the, the, the bedroom on Saturday night and says, hey, how does this outfit look? This is what Paul is doing. He's asking you, compare your own heart to this description, all right, he says, first, are you lowly? Or do you live your life on Sunday morning arrogantly demanding things? Arrogantly, pompously saying, oh, oh, this is the way I want it to be. It's a heart condition. Or are you gentle? Or are you just flat out mean to other people? Do you blow people by in the hallways of our church? All right? Long suffering. When somebody does you wrong, do you try to get them back? You try to get back and even the score. When somebody says something about you in the church, maybe they did something they shouldn't have done, they gossiped. Oh, no, I gossiped about you. Well, how do you handle that? Do you, do you get mad and gossip back about them? These are, here's the thing, this is funny to me, is that he used the word long-suffering. 
In other words, he's implying that you're going to suffer in the church. He's talking in the context of the church. Guys, that means that you're, there's some th- we, we're going to struggle with sin the rest of our lives. We can act all day long that we don't struggle with it, but we do. And how do you act towards each other in the church when we start turning on each other because we're human? Because we all have sinful appetites. See, these are things, these are natural, these are called flesh. This is flesh tendencies. So which one do you struggle with? All right, keep going. Forbearing. Um, are, do, you, do you hold each other up or do you stand by and, and watch things fall all around you? Like, I saw that train coming a long time ago, man. Look, he just got hit by it. Look, look, look at him. He can't even handle what he's going through. I told him that was going to happen. He didn't listen to me. Do we talk like that? This is continuing. Think about this, church. What about striving for unity? Or do you live like this? Oh, I just do my own thing. I'll stay and focus on my own ministry. I'll do my own thing. You know, I, I can't answer for so-and-so. I'll stay here and do my own thing. and I focus on my own attention and pour my efforts here. There's no unity there. So if we're to be honest about it, I think, and I'll use this funny thing, the suit isn't fitting real well, is it? You know, when you compare yourself to that description, do you notice areas in your life that don't fit? Or am I like the only one out there who sees that? So church, what do you do? What do you do when you notice you've got too many fat rolls? Come on, what do you do? You buy a Fitbit. No, what do you do? I, I, I tell you what I think I should do. I want to start figuring out how to get rid of the excess. Start cutting out the sin. Because that's what this issue is. It's sin in our hearts. And I want to identify that. I want you to see when you're being mean and when we retaliate, when we retaliate, when somebody does us wrong, that's not good. That's pride. And that's called sin in the camp. So here's what happens. Unless we, continue, unless we address these issues in the church, we're never going to know what it looks like to have a family that's properly suited. What family life should look like is not going to be what family life looks like at Fellowship Baptist if we don't really start evaluating our own hearts and find out what sin is there. And we got to repent. Get it out. Now, this is where it gets personal. Say, man, this is hard. Man, this is a hard message. I want it to be hard. I want it to be stirring to us. I'm going somewhere with it. So he says here, he says, basically, we've got to, the idea is if you see these things and a suit don't fit real well, then you've got to repent. Repent. Cut it out. Start turning away from these things in your heart. Now, what are you repenting towards? All right, this is where it gets fun. Now, turn your Bibles a couple pages before this to Galatians. I took the college students here this morning. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Same concept, but he's talking about the fullness of the Spirit here. What we need to do as a church, according to the, following Paul's clear, clear understanding of Scripture, following his biblical philosophy of ministry, what we've got to do is we've got to repent. We recognize we've got these issues in our hearts, church. These are real issues. Secondly, we've got to seek the fullness of the Spirit. Hear that and hear that well. Individually, seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your individual lives. Now, let's do it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says this. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. See, here's the thing. I got a fat roll right here. You know what it is? I'm not forbearing. You do something to me, I'm going to get you back, son. I'm not messing with you. You don't cross me, bro. All right, that, that's, that's pride, okay? I don't want to, I don't want, that's an issue in my heart. Okay, whatever it is. So you identify your fat roll. I'm just having fun with it, okay? Hang on me. All right, you identify your sin, all right? What you do is you gotta you gotta repent. God, I recognize this is issue. This is an issue in my heart. I gotta get this right. I need your help. 
So you have to seek the Holy Spirit. Lean into him. He's with you, church. Hey, man, how many of you guys are glad the Holy Spirit's in your life? Say amen. Amen. Isn't that exciting? We could have a whole other sermon about that. But the Holy Spirit is there in our lives and in our church so that we could experience wonderful things in our lives as a body. But before that happens, we got to become filled with him as individuals. Now, how do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? This is a question everybody asks people. It's not that complicated. You simply do this. You obey the word of God. When God says in the word that you are, not, you are supposed to live with each other forbearing one another, you're supposed to be lowly towards each other, you're supposed to be gentle and meek towards each other, you're supposed to be long-suffering towards each other, striving for unity, that's the word of God. That's what he said. So what we need to do is live that out. Do it. But here's the thing. You can't do it. You can't do it. It's so hard and it's so frustrating. You get up in the morning and try to put a smile on your face and go to church. And you just it's hard. You can't. It's frustrating. And you fail at it. So what you do is you lean in to God. God, I need you to help me be forbearing today. I need you to help me be kind when I see that person in church that rubs me the wrong way. I need you to help me love people today and strive for unity in our church today, God. I need your help. What you're doing is you're leaning into the Holy Spirit. Better word is depending on the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be filled with him. You're going to be filled with the fullness of the Spirit. That's what it means to be filled with the fullness of the Spirit, is depending on him. And what happens is you go through a weird transformation when you come to church. Now you're no longer struggling to be kind to that person who's mean to you. You say, there's mean people in church? There's mean people everywhere, all right? We, we're, we're human, and we struggle with sin, all right? Their, their issue just might be they're mean, okay? So whatever it is, or you know, whatever their pride, might, it might be pride. So whatever the thing is, we, we lean into the Holy Spirit for help, and he gives us what we need. And then we experience a suitable family structure, and we become a body that is fitly joined together. And the suit fits. Does that make sense? That's pretty simple, right? Well, he's going through. So that's what family life looks like, all right? The fits, it, we're all basically, we're individually seeking the Holy Spirit to fill us so that we can be the body of Christ. We can be lowly. We can help each other. We can forbear with one another. Just be the body. Now, the second thing he brings out is this. How does family life work in the church? How does it actually work? I mean, I understand what it's supposed to look like now and how, you know, how, what makes it look good. What makes it look so attractive is that, you know, there's unity, there's long-suffering, there's meekness. But, but how does it work? Well, read with me in verse number 7. He says this, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, continuing in verse number 8, I'll, I'll skip it, but the point is, he's, the idea of grace here. Is guys, he's telling us that God has given every single one of us a gift of God. Some of us have gifts, plural, of God. It's cool. That means you are vital to me. I need you in my life, okay? And you need me, in a weird way, in your life. So I, I say that to say this is what makes it so attracting, all right? This is where it all comes. All of us have been given different spiritual gifts. Now, with that said, I want to say, that it, leading into the next thought is... Um, what, what, are these, what are these gifts for? Now, he mentions, really, he zeroes in on one particular gift. That, it's, it's this idea of teaching. He says, God gave a gift of teaching to the pastors, to evangelists, to teachers, to, uh, to, to uh, apostles, and prophets. That's, number, that's verse number 11. He said that the reason why those gifts are given is for the one purpose of growing in grace. Now, he, there's, there's really three things I want to point out to you. 
Notice this. I know I'm, I'm having fun. How many of you guys are having fun? This is, how many of you guys have never done a Bible study before, and this is maybe the first time ever? Raise your hand. Okay. The good. We're going to have fun tonight. All right. Get your highlighters. Keep going. All right. In verse number 11, he says, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some, some pastors and teachers. All of those gifts are wrapped up in a one. It's called teaching. Teaching and preaching. All right. You can work them together in that context. All right. Verse number 12 says, here's the reason why those gifts are given. This is why teaching the word of God is so vitally important in the church. Here's what he says. Verse number 12. Because it, it perfects the saints. Her, if you've got a pen, circle that word perfecting. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. All right, that's the second thing. For, uh, circle the word work, all right. And for the edifying, circle edifying, of the body of Christ. All right, here's what he's going to. All right, so the idea here is, first, the teaching and preaching of God's word. This is so important that we sit underneath good biblical teaching from Pastor Tony and the other teachers in the room. It's because it's going to perfect us. That word perfect means it's going to mature us. We're going to become mature. We're going to grow up into Christ is what that means. All right? So this is where it gets awesome. So the more you understand the word of God, the more, the more you're underneath good biblical teaching and you're studying scripture, what happens is you begin to go through this, you know, the metamorphosis in scripture. You know, that idea of a butterfly, caterpillar turning into a butterfly. That's what's happening. You're becoming a new person as you grow in the image of Christ. Now the things that you struggle with currently are becoming old and they're shedding off because you're changing Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is changing you from the things you're hearing, the word of God. Remember what we told you about being filled with the Spirit comes from doing the word of God? Well, the more you understand, the more you know the Bible, the more you understand what's expected of us and what we're called to live like, the more you're going to want that. And the more you're going to lean into the Holy Spirit to help you become that. And guess what happens? You start changing. You start changing. All right. Now, with that said, he also mentions this other piece. He said, for the work of the ministry. Now, this is interesting. You know, we always say, oh, bless God, I need help in my ministry. I need to grow my ministry. Well, here's what he's saying. This is how how simple it is. What we do is we focus on teaching people. Now, don't look at me. You're a teacher, Pastor Joe. You're You're a pastor in the church, and you're responsible for teaching us the Bible. No, no. God gave you a brain, all right? He gave you a heart, and he expects us to grow in Christ on our own to some degree as well. Now, you may not have to. You don't have to have a Bible degree to do that. You got a Bible. Get a study Bible. Get it out, man. Ham it up, man. Take notes and just have fun with it. Say, oh, I don't got the time for that. Okay, then get a little devotional book. Just get in the Bible. Just get in some simple thing. The more you're exposed to it, the more I want you to apply it. The more things you grow, you're going to, change, you're going to be changed and transformed in that image. But the second thing, he talks about this idea of work in the ministry. Basically, teaching elicits an eager passion to fulfill the mission and work of Christ. Pastor Tony, we were talking about this just before I came out here. Um, we were saying that it's so hard as pastors when we, we study, we're, like I prepare a sermon, you know, like this, and I read a text, and I'm like, oh, man, that is some good stuff, man. I really want to experience How many of you guys have ever been there? You've gotten jealous before of the apostles and the, and the disciples, when they're seeing Jesus do crazy things, and, like, people are walking, and they were dead just a minute ago, and now they're alive. I mean, they're just seeing weird stuff, and, and you're kind of like, man, I want to experience that. I want to I just not read the Bible. I want to be in the Bible. You know what I mean? That's kind of the idea. How many guys have been there? You know what I'm talking about? 
All right, if you're not there, get back there, okay? Because there's a lot of fun when you're in that place, all right? Rather than just being, you know, bored in your Christian life. So here's the, here's the cool thing. Whenever we read the word of God and the word of God is being taught to us verse by verse, you're understanding the whole counsel of God. What happens is you grow, you're being matured in Christ, but then also you're going to notice this, this ignited passion in you. Man, you won't be able to sit still in a chair. You're going to want to be able to do something. I want to experience that. I don't just want to read about that. I want to live that. I want to, I want to know what that feels like. I want to know what it, what, how, how it all happens. It's, a, it's, an, it's an ignited passion. All right, that's what got you in the ministry to begin with, is it not? That's why you're serving in the ministry you're in. It's because something happened in you. You just wanted it. You, you want. So what I'm saying is this. It is so important that you stay in the word of God. Because the more you stay, the more you're going to experience, the more you're going to want Christ to do in your life. And the more you're going to want to encourage other people. You know, I can always tell someone who's excited about God. Because they just can't stop talking. I mean, they just want to tell you about what God's doing in their life. And, and if you're having a bad day, you're just like, man, I don't want to hear another word that comes out of your mouth, man. And then you look like that mean person, you know, in the Bible we're talking about. So the idea is, I just want to encourage you, according to this, teaching and understanding, growing in the truth or theology or growing in understanding of the Bible and listening to biblical preaching and applying it to your life, that's going to change you and it's going to change your passion. Say, so I don't have a lot of passion. This is where it starts. This is where, this is where, where you get it from. Third, and I'll move on quickly, he says this, as a result of you growing in your understanding and you're going to ignite a passion because of that, you're going to have this passion for Christ, the third thing is naturally it edifies the church. Edifies, that word edify means to build up. It means it's going to pour over. All right, so the idea, I'm taking my coat off, I'm hot. All right, the idea is it's going to pour over. This church is going to be poured over with power and influence when we become people who are seriously passionate about seeking the fullness of the Spirit in our life. The hungrier we get for the Word of God. And I mean, you come prepared. I mean, you, you got your Bible ready. You're ready to sit front row with Pastor Tony as he preaches. I mean, you're ready. What's happening is you're just going to grow in the knowledge of the truth and something's going to happen in your heart. And what's going to happen is you're just going to see this church flooded with people because of your passion for Christ. Not my passion, your passion. That's, that's what ignites a church. It overflows, it builds because of Christ in it. That's the most amazing thing. All right, so I don't know about you, but that's the kind of family life that I want to be a part of. That's the kind of family I pray for Fellowship Baptist Church will experience. You know what I long to see as Fellowship Baptist Church, and I've said this before, is that we grow so exponentially, I'll use that word exponentially, we just, we can't even contain the growth in our church, spiritually and numerically, that we have to start another church. We have to start a church on the south end, north end of, of Columbus, Ohio, because there's too many people coming from the north end of Columbus, Ohio, to experience what's happening, the wonders and the power of God that's experienced on a Sunday at Fellowship Baptist Church. And people are wearing, I love my church shirts everywhere they go. Walmart, everybody's going to work with church shirts like this. That's what I want. I want to experience that because there's power in that. And that's possible. That's what was happening in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the first couple of chapters of Acts. We always say, oh, the, the, chapter, the church says it, would, it blew up to 3,000 people in one day. No, 3,000 men in one day. Go back and read your Bible. There's probably 20,000 plus people that got saved in one day. That's crazy. You know what's crazy about it? That's because the power of the Holy Spirit upon a church. That's what I want, man. And I tell you, we can have that. We just submit to the word of God. Jesus said to be lowly, meek. Okay, God, I need your help. I want to lean into you. Help me to become, become what you told me to become. 
So that's how family life works. Let's go fast and move into this last piece, the climactic piece, which is 13, found in verse 13, why family life is important. So let's, let's read this verse, and we'll slow it down even further. All right, verse 13 says, tell we. Now, I want you to circle that word we, all right? That word we, is, all right, the fun part about that is because it's plural, all right? I wouldn't want to blow things up here, but it's, it's the idea of being more than one. First person, plural pronoun, all right? You got a, a lot of P's there. Um, but the idea is there's more than one person here. That's what he's saying. We, talking about the church. Tell we all, all right, come in unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son. So these teaching gifts are given to us, and, so that, and we're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep teaching you doctrine, keep teaching you the great things of the Word of God, the excellencies found in Christ, teach you these things so that with, until we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Now, underline or circle that word, man. So you just went from a plural. He says in this verse that we, that's plural, are supposed to become one man. Now, what does that mean? How can a plural group become one person? That's exactly his point. See, all of us come from different backgrounds. All of us come from different lives before Christ. But we all are one person. You know who that person is? Jesus Christ on earth. We are the body of Jesus Christ. Now think about that. You use that all the time. You say that phrase often in Bible studies you do or whatever. The body of Christ? What do you mean? Like the literal body of Jesus? Like well, how, what do you mean by you? Are we just like a corpse? Are we Jesus' corpse? Oh, no, 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 no. We don't just have Jesus' body. We have his spirit in us. And if all of us are seeking the fullness of his spirit, do you know what happens? We literally become the greatest picture of Jesus Christ walking, living, breathing in the city of Columbus. We are Jesus Christ to the lost, to the blind, to the lame, to the hopeless. That's who we are. We are the light of the world. Does that make sense? Say, well, I know that, Joe. I know that. Well, do we want that, church? Do we want it? If we want it, then that means we have to seek the fullness of the Spirit in our individual lives. If one of these issues is in your heart, which I know they're in mine, we've got to seek the Lord, and we've got to repent from it. If you're arrogant, repent of it. It's sin. If you're mean, repent. It's sin. We have to seek Him, seek His fullness, and we will be the greatest image that the city's ever seen of Jesus Christ. And I long for that. I long for that. You know, the Bible says signs and wonders will be done. You say, oh, no, you're going charismatic on us now. I am charismatic. I'm a Baptist charismatic person is who I am. I mean, I'm not no tongues person, but I am a charismatic. I, I do speak in tongues sometimes. I mean, look at me. I stumble over my words all the time. I need an interpreter. Interpreter present? No, I'm kidding. But the truth is, the bottom line is, I, I long to see the day that we can experience wonders you know the whole word wonderful counselor describing Jesus? He's a wonderful counselor, the mighty God. What does wonderful mean? Full of wonder. I want that. That's the description of the church. Wonderful. Man, that's amazing. But I don't think we tap into that. I don't think we think about that. But that's the family of God. We are that to the city. So it's basically saying that we become one. 
extenuating the idea that, that we have to love each other, that whole going back to that, you know, the first five things he told us to do when we're seeking the Holy Spirit, leaning into him, and we're submitting ourselves to the authority of the Bible. If the Bible says you love one another, then you love one another. I can't love him. Lord, help me love him. All right? When we do that, what happens is we're leaning on him. He's going to fill us. This, the whole place will be filled with the Spirit of God. And wonders are going to happen. Wonders are going to happen. People are going to be saved like you wouldn't believe. But I just need, we got to get this. So how, how desperate are we now? Now that we see this. You know the crazy, we had eight, over 800 again in our church service this morning. Awesome, awesome. But you know, I'm not content with that. Say, I had a conversation with a college student this past week. And I was kind of convicted like, you know, the Bible says that you're supposed to, godliness with contentment is great gain. Should I be content with the growth of our church? You know, I mean, you know, I mean we're seeing great things happen, you know. I mean, great things are happening. You know what this college student said? No Bible degree, nothing. He says, you know, go back to that reference. He said, you know, that verse says that uh, it's talking about money. It's not talking about, you know, uh, experiencing wonders of God. He's talking about godliness with great, you know, is godliness, godliness by itself is great gain. He says, not, don't seek money. He said, so what you're doing is you're misinterpreting the Bible. He said, you never stop being passionate about seeing wonders happen through our church. He looked at me in the face and said, Pastor Joe, don't ever stop being hungry for seeing wonders happen in the church. We need that. I thought, oh man, Starbucks, watch out. All right, I'm serious. I thought, that's exactly what we need, church. We don't ever get content with 800. Let's praise God for the 800. But how about, how about us seeing God's power really seen in our lives? I mean, that is exciting to me. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll st- stop talking about stuff, and I'm going to close with something that really made an impact in my life. I had a Bible study at my house um, recently, and this thought came to me. I wasn't even teaching the Bible study, but this came to me, um, and I thought I would share it. Um, I was sitting in there with a group of students in, in, my, in my living room, and they're all from different backgrounds. All of them. Man, it's so crazy. It's like, it's like a mini... It's a microcosm of the church. All of us have different backgrounds, you know. So they're all in my living room. And I started seeing this, this cool thing happen. Like the, some of the guys were just sharing about what's going on in their hearts. And some of the girls were talking about hey, how God's changing them in this area. And it, just all this great stuff happening. And I'm just watching it all unfold. And I started thinking to myself, you know, I used to pray when I first became a believer that I wanted so badly to see God. God, I, I want to be like Moses, where you, you let me just see, behold your glory, God. I want to experience your glory. I want you to, to cover me with your hand and just let me see your backside. I don't want, I don't want to see just your back. Let me show, me show me your shoulders, how broad you are. I want to see how big you are. And I, and I started thinking, you know, the Bible says that angels long to see the presence and the person of God. Angels long to see. They say, well, angels are in heaven. Think about that. The Bible describes in, in Isaiah chapter 6 that the angels, the seraphim that are the closest to God sitting on his throne, how are they described? They have six wings. Two of them, they're flying. Two of them, they're covering their feet. And the other two are what? Covering their eyes. Because the angels are not even permitted to behold the beauty and the person of God. But wait a minute. The Bible says that you and I are the body of Christ. So let me drop a bomb in your lap and let you think about this as you go home. That means that every single time we come together as a church, we are literally beholding the beauty and the elegance, the majesty of God every time we come together. That is 
God in the midst. He's here. We are the body of Christ. Now the question is, do you believe that? Say, well, that, that isn't, if this is the body of Christ, then I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not that excited about getting to heaven. Then shame on us, man. That ought to stir your fire right there. That ought to stir your fire. If, you're not, if you see that God's not moving in great ways in our lives as individuals, then we need to be hungry for that. Hungry. As sheep, I pray to God that he lets us as pastors lead you to some green pastures. And you know what? Along the way, we're going to go through some valleys. But we're going to be with it. We're going to be with you. We want to love this. We want to journey with you. I'm, I'm telling you, we are going to take you guys farther than we can dream because we don't even know where we're going. We just know what we want. We know what the Bible says we're supposed to experience, and we're not going to stop until we experience it. Does that make sense? Say, I don't know where this church is going, all this vision and everything. Well, that's where we're going. We're going forward. We're going to see Jesus. We want to see an impact in the city with the gospel so that you get on the, on the train or get off the train, but we ain't stopping. Does that make sense? All right, so that's, that's, our, that's our vision. There it is. Pastor Tony just cast the vision for 2016. All right, so I, I'll, I'll say this. I long to be that church. You know what the cool thing is? In a lot of ways, we are. We are that church, but in our own hearts, we need to evaluate where are those areas in our hearts that we need to, we need to repent at? You know, where are those sin issues? And then seek the Holy Spirit to be filled, to be filled with him.